So today in American Conversations, we have Father Troy Beecham, who's Episcopalian uh, minister, a priest in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Father, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so am I. This is such an enjoyable conversation pre-interview that I, I can't wait to have this interview. So, Father, yeah. first of all, tell the audience about your background in the, in the Episcopal Church. All right. Uh, well, I've been a priest for 18 years. Um, I've been a priest in two places in Georgia. Um, I've been a priest in the Diocese of New York, uh, now in Des Moines. I was for a brief period a uh, brother uh, at a monastery. Um, for the last seven years, I've been the dean of the cathedral uh, church in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, prior to that, I was in uh, school, a lot of school. I did undergraduate seminary in theology. I did a first master's also in biblical studies, which included mostly biblical languages. Um, and then uh, I did a second master's degree in uh, theology. And was there, was there any area of, when you say theology and biblical studies and languages, I mean, was there any um, specialty, any category that you focused on? Yeah, well, in biblical studies, I focused primarily on languages, but that also included the uh, history um, of the uh, time periods in which the scriptures were written, the creation of the canon, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, as well as biblical archaeology. And in theology, I specialized, uh, first of all, in uh, just uh, systematic theology in my undergraduate. And in graduate theology, I uh, was specializing in the Christian mystics. From your deep dive uh, in theology and, and linguistics of, of the Bible, do you mm -hmm. think that the the congregation really understands the power of words according to the, the scripture? Uh, I think that the average person does not. Um, I grew up in uh, in the evangelical Christian world, in, in the charismatic evangelical world. And in, in one strength of the evangelical charismatic movement, uh, is that people bring their Bibles to church and regularly follow the preacher um, in the Bible. In my experience uh, over the last over 30 years as a member of the Episcopal Church, uh, people don't do that. People very rarely are exposed to scripture except when it's read to them as part of the liturgy on Sunday. So there's not a great deal of biblical literacy um, in the average uh, churchgoer. Um, I have for the last 18 years in my preaching, um, I spend on average 10 hours a week in sermon prep. Uh, I read all of the texts in original languages. I do broad linguistic study um, as well as historical study on the interpretation of those texts before I um, actually preach a sermon. And uh, that's always been a strong suit. And everywhere I've been, people have really appreciated that. Um, and always found that to be a novelty. They've never really had um, somebody who was uh, an academic become a priest. Most clergy don't don't start out as academics. Most uh, receive a professional degree, which is called a Master's of Divinity. Um, I was instead going uh, to be a 
seminary professor, but then I decided to go into pastoral ministry instead. So I, I'm a bit of a, an anomaly. Well, that makes you that makes you a little bit more intellectual at the same yeah, time. It, does, yeah. it, 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 ha it has to. Absolutely. Yes, it does, yeah. um, so, Father, in, in, I don't want to talk about COVID, but we live in a COVID era. Mm -hmm. how, how did you see the closing down of churches? You know, and let's just not go worldwide. Let's just keep it to America. Were yeah. you shocked by any of this or was, did you, do you think this is just the, the devil in motion? Uh, I think initially before people really knew much about COVID, um, people weren't shutting down immediately. It was only after, um, it was only after the, really the politi politicization of COVID uh, that people began to respond politically um, and the churches began to respond politically fairly typically in my experience along uh, political lines. So churches that are primarily self-identified as being more liberal um, or progressive, uh, it became a moral good to shut down and for churches that politically aligned uh, more towards conservative, uh, they thought that it was more important uh, for their people to have access to um, to their religious practice. Um, so I, 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 as it went on, mm -hmm. um, as it continues, right. um, I, I am personally shocked um, that the numbers and kinds of churches that remain shut down or are in severely restricted um, in-person worship. Uh, I, I find that uh, troubling, puzzling. Um, was and, were there conversations, you know, scuttlebutt among the religious about, you know, it's one thing what people say to the to congregations of the public, but mm -hmm. I'm always curious about the whispers behind the scenes when a mandate like this came down. I, I just, I, I couldn't believe that I lived, my homeland was in a country, was a country where, you know, the churches were closing. Yeah, I, I was stunned closing. by it. I was absolutely stunned. I was stunned by uh, the, the many times that uh, there were televised cases where police would come to churches to shut them down and the pastor and the congregation would tell the police to go away. I thought, where? Uh, where are we living behind the Iron Curtain? I mean, what is this? How is, right. how is this even a question um, that it's a protected freedom in our constitution, the freedom to, to peaceably assemble and the freedom to practice our religion without government interference. Um, but as I said, it became, uh, it became, in my opinion, the left have seized the language of what it means to be a moral and a good person. And if you want to be perceived as a moral and a good person, then you're going to do uh, what the left mandates. And so that has impacted, absolutely has impacted uh, mainstream Christianity in America. Um, the language of morality um, leans now towards uh, what, what the left decides is the moral good. And because of that, churches are still uh, 
almost entirely shut down um, and are doing uh, live stream uh, services um, and people have no access. Um, you know, in my tradition, uh, the Holy Eucharist uh, is the center of, of Christian worship. And uh, there have been very few brief periods um, and this goes not, it goes from diocese to diocese. In my diocese, there have only been a few months over the last year and a half where people were allowed to do in-person worship and then only under severely restricted numbers. Um, so I, I, I find that incredibly uh, troubling. Well, let's unpack what we about this shift uh of change because when mm -hmm. you, and first of all when you mentioned left you're talking let's let's define left we're talking radical right? yeah yeah and, and not right you can be radical you can be in the extremes on the yeah. left and the right but yeah. let's just now talk about what we talked in the pre-interview because I, th I think it's absolutely fascinating people need to know mm -hmm. that um, within the Episcopal Church, you, you mentioned to me, and, and full disclosure, I was raised in the Catholic uh, Church. Uh, you, there's about 100 dioceses of uh, mm -hmm. the Episcopal Church in, in America. Yes. Um, and then there, it, the, there was the shift to be more, I guess, open, non-judgmental, anything goes, no boundaries, maybe started, as you said to me, and these are not your words, my words, mm -hmm. you know, st started really moving about 20, 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. But what happened in recent years in the, the you mentioned to me, 2018 at one of the, and I forget the terminology you used. Uh, general convention. The, at the general convention. And, the, and at the general convention, there are House of Deputies and House of Bishops. Can you just explain before we get into the weeds of what happened at that convention, um, the dynamics and the differences between the House of Deputy and the House of Bishops in the Episcopal Church? Yeah, well, the House of uh, Deputies is made up of lay people and clergy who are elected by each diocese to represent that diocese. Uh, the general convention is held every three years. Um, and at the general convention, uh, the church votes on uh, what are the mission priorities, how are we going to spend the the budget of the church, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, the House of Deputies is mirrored then by the House of Bishops. Uh, the House of Deputies can uh, propose resolutions that are then sent to the House of Bishops uh, for approval or not approval. Um, and vice versa. Um, in the 2018 General Convention, at which I was a delegate for my diocese, um, I, I was uh, extremely troubled by the resolutions that were coming out of the House of Deputies. Um, and I was one of the few who stood to speak up and say how troubling <laughs> these things were, the issues that were coming up. So um, let's let's start with the first one. You mentioned to me that there was um, there was a language about God. Yes, non-gender language. You sent us a, a document about this. Um, yeah. Explain that to the public because th this is where the congregation is just clueless about what's about the politicization uh, of of just faith in yeah. general. 
here in the yeah. United States. Yeah. Okay. So the fir the first issue is, to unpack this is about what you call non-gender language. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, the the overarching theme is that the Book of Common Prayer is is the uh, book that we use uh, in which all the liturgies of the church are uh, outlined. That includes the Holy Eucharist, morning prayer, evening prayer. It also has our catechism. Um, it includes, you know, burials, weddings, all of that. Uh, so the Episcopal Church uh, has not had a revision of the Book of Common Prayer since 1979. There's been uh, an ongoing desire on the parts of some to uh, uh, revise the Book of Common Prayer. And most of the revisions um, that are being proposed uh, have to do with uh, language, especially gendered language. Um, so he, she. He, she, yeah. And especially about God, the, the push to use non-gendered language for God to make it uh, not allowed to use he for God um, for example. Uh, What's the argument for that? The intellectual linguistic argument for that? Yeah, uh, well, it's definitely not a linguist. I mean, it's not, it's not an academic argument. It's a political argument. Um, and the political argument um, has to do with uh, the representation of women or the lack of representation of women um, in, uh, in, in the liturgy or amongst the clergy. Uh, the women now make up over half the clergy of the Episcopal Church, um, and uh, so the, the the argument is uh, it mirrors some of the public dialogue uh, in in just secular society uh, that we have about gendered language um, and about gender identity and gender fluidity. Um, so the it's it's uh it's the influence of secular society is really pushing its way into um, the church's interior theological arguments, and that's not always a bad thing. But I think in this case, it's uh, it's asking the church to make some radical changes um, about some very basic truth claims. Um, and, and, and this is beyond whether or not you're going to have, I mean, in the Catholic Church, they talk about women being priests on, on the altar. And, and in the Episcopal Church, as I understand it, uh, they, they don't, there, there, was, there was some conversation about not having, elevating a, a, a man, a priest to a, bit, a minister, to a bishop. Mm -hmm. Until there are as many female bishops, is is that do I have that right or do I have that wrong? Yeah, no, no. At, at this uh, at the 2018 <clears throat> um, general convention uh, on the floor of deputies, uh, there was uh, an attempt to pass a resolution which failed, um, but there was uh, quite a lot of discussion allowed, and it was generally agreed amongst the House of Deputies uh, that uh, for future Episcopal elections in which people are elected to become the next bishop of a, of a diocese, uh, that no more men until the number of women equaled the number of men in the House of Bishops. Um, and that was an unofficial mandate, but it has been followed almost 
exactly um, this unofficial mandate. So even even if some of these mandates that are brought by members of the House of Deputies and mm -hmm. they if they pass or if they fail, it's still it seems like there's a very gray area there that if you if you want to take any of these suggestions, you can mm -hmm. run with it even though it's not mandated. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. These delegates are going back to their dioceses, and the word spread um, over the last three years. I, we've had nearly twenty. Um, bishops retire. I think only two or three men have been elected bishop. And you know that the um, committees that are receiving applications for bishop um, are receiving applications from men. Um, they're just not being forwarded to uh, the diocese, uh, each diocese, so that the only slate of candidates you get um, is is of, of a singular gender. Um, and, you know, there's an argument to be made uh, in, a, in a church like the Episcopal Church, which ordains women to being deacon, priest, and bishop, that there should be parity of a sort. Um, but to artificially um, uh, create an environment where only women are put forward uh, uh, that's a, I think that's a problem um, it, because it, it, it's it's artificial. It's it's. <laughs> I mean, how many people? Um, it shouldn't uh, matter about the sex. It should matter about the depth of their faith. Yes, it should. Yeah. How many how many people who who have the skills, who have the training, who have the the vocation, the calling, um, have just been left out? Right. And going to harm the church long term. But let's talk about more of the political angles that, that you, you you shared with me. Okay. Uh, the, about Israel. I mean, I, I just find this fascinating. Yeah. I mean, disgusted, but I find it fascinating. Tell me about that in 2018 at the uh, Episcopal Convention when the House of Deputies brought up a um, like, what, do you, what do you call it? A resolution? Resolutions, yeah. A resolution about Israel. I, I, yeah. I just, I, I find this absolutely foul. I, I mean, seriously, yeah. the politics of this is, is amazing to me. Go ahead and tell us about that. Different resolutions were brought up about the state <clears throat> of Israel. Um, some of them political, some of them theological. Um, Let's start with the political first. Right, the political. So the BDS movement, the disinvestment movement um, has been uh, knocking around the Episcopal Church for 20 years or, or more. And explain explain what that means to the public, just in case so, he doesn't so quite understand the, it, because we hear about it all the time on college yeah. campuses. The, the BDS movement is encouraging <clears throat> uh, individuals, states, nations to withdraw all forms of uh, economic or political um, investment in the state of Israel. Just um, like they call for that in South Africa. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. So one of the resolutions was to officially label Israel an apartheid state. And it was, it was agreed that House of Deputies actually passed that. Thankfully, the House of Bishops rejected it, saying that Israel is absolutely not a, an apartheid state. But the bishops... It, by the narrowest of margins, rejected it. 
I don't know that it will be rejected the next time it comes around. And the next time is in uh, 2022 in Baltimore in July. Yeah. Okay. Um, so all the big conference again. Yeah, the general convention. Um, some of the uh, uh, other political ones, other than calling Israel an apartheid state, um, calling for a two-state solution. Was um, that was that actually vote? Were any of those voted? The two they were all they were all approved by the House of Deputies, um, but m most were rejected by the House of Bishops. Um, all right. So let's go down the list for that. So they 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 wanted to call it an apartheid state. It passed in the House of Deputies. The House of Bishops re rejected it. Go yeah. on. Uh, in the uh, uh, so they wanted to divest from Israel, have the Episcopal Church officially divest from Israel. Several dioceses have independently divested, but the Episcopal Church as a whole uh, has still chosen to remain invested. Um, not just financially, but in dialogue. Um, uh, and the we, argument for this is based upon whether or not these people believe that uh, Israel is an apartheid state. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, right. Absolutely. Anything else in, in terms of Israel from the political view before we move on to the theological? Uh, those are really the two big ones, the, the disinvestment and the labeling of Israel as an apartheid state, uh, which is appalling. Um, anybody with, well, I can't say anybody because people obviously read history and they read it the way that they, their politics determine. Um, we all have our uh, perceptual filters. It's, it's difficult to read the history of the region and have Israel labeled an apartheid state. I, I, I'm, I'm boggled by it, honestly. Uh, when we when we move on to the theological mm -hmm. resolutions that were put forward. Uh, unpack that for us. Well, in the Eucharistic liturgy um, of the Episcopal Church, which is the liturgy of, uh, of the Mass, um, in several of the Eucharistic prayers, uh, Israel is mentioned. Um, God is the God of Israel. Um, we mention that God has uh, spoken through the prophets of Israel. And Israel is mentioned throughout the Bible. Yes, absolutely. And uh, as part of the desire to revise the prayer book, um, a resolution was put forward to remove all reference to Israel um, from the Eucharistic liturgies and prayers of the church. And what were they supposed to put in, in its place? But nothing, just completely erase it. So then you would remove not just the word Israel, you'd remove the sentence and the context of Israel. Right? Oh, yes, just absolutely talk about a nation in the next sentence because it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, it just so absolutely. wanted to wipe out paragraphs ultimately. Yeah. Just, so it was more of a point than it was, I mean, did they really believe it was going to happen? Was it put forth by the congregation? Or was it put by somebody who was actually in ministry? Um, it, was, it was put forward in the House of Deputies. It actually uh, was approved. And thankfully, again, the House of Bishops uh, rejected it. By um, how much of a percentage? A tiny percentage. Um, so, is any is anybody having the conversations at the table? Like, what are you what are you boys and girls thinking? I mean, that, that's that's this this this. You know, we we talk about uh, you know we, we talk about decisions that are made all the time, and I keep and I hammer this all the time. Who who's at the table, and why aren't people speaking up? Yeah, there are. Um, 
between the general conventions, which, ha which happen every three years, um, though this last year it was postponed because of COVID, uh, there are uh, standing committees and commissions. And so they are meeting uh, regularly throughout the intervening three-year periods. And they are entertaining uh, resolutions that people send to them um, uh, throughout the year. And then when general convention actually begins to meet, uh, those committees meet and they decide which resolutions actually get forwarded uh, to, uh, to the business schedule. So, so people what, are talking about them. People are talking about them, but but at some point, is everybody kind of meek in, in this crowd? Or doesn't somebody turn to somebody and say, have you lost your mind? I would I, I would not be appropriate to be in any of these type of meetings. Yeah. Because I would say that too often to people, have yeah. you lost your mind? I tried to get appointed to some of these committees. And uh, so my experience is it's very difficult um, increasingly uh, if you come from, as I do, from a theologically conservative position to get on uh, most of these committees. Um, the conservative theological voice uh, continues to be sidelined um, in mainstream uh, Christianity in America, um, certainly in the Episcopal Church, uh, in, in, of which I'm a priest. Um, so it's 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 not that their meetings aren't happening. It's just that for a conservative voice to get on a commission or a committee is extremely difficult. Well, if you do speak out, what what happens to the person who speaks out? Well, speaking out, it it it. it there's a lot you've of talk. You've, you've you've done that. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about moral courage, about how do we speak out about issues that are important. And, and, and the plain truth is that there are uh, increasingly small islands, uh, smaller and smaller places, smaller dioceses where you can speak openly um, uh, as, a, as a conservative Christian um, and not face uh, uh, real-world consequences, mm -hmm. loss of jobs, which means uh, uh, loss of medical benefits, interruption of your pension assessments. Um, it becomes uh, you are in real danger of losing your livelihood. Um, here's a startling statistic. Within five years of ordination, 50% of the newly ordained leave ordained ministry. Why? Because they find that they are unable. Um, if there's there, there's a phenomenon, it's in it, and it's kind of a joke. You go to seminary to lose your faith, and one of the things that's happened over the last 30, 40 years um, is that uh, the seminaries um, have increasingly um, adopted. Uh, not just a liberal, um, and I, I'm fine with classical liberalism, um, but increasingly, let's, let's. I think the terminology has to be radical. I think I think to not get it confused with liberal, classical liberal. Yeah. I, I think there's there's a radical. Yeah, there's a radical left, and so when I say left, I mean really left of classical liberal. 
And, um, and when we when we talk about radical, are we actually talking about people who believe in God, who who have faith in the traditional sense? No. If they want to, I mean, if you want to extract Israel from from any of the the, the literature, right. then that means that you don't believe in Israel being in the Bible. If you don't believe in the in the Bible as the Word of God, I mean, mm -hmm. why are they part of this club? Why do they have a vote? Why are they in the House of Deputies? Right. I, that's a, that's a longstanding question. I don't know. Uh, in my seminary, um, as, as we spoke earlier, uh, the systematic theology, uh, professor, uh, was very clear. He did not believe in God. He did not believe in any of it. He's a priest. Um, so why was he teaching? I, I have no why idea. Was he a pre I mean, you know, if you have more, if you don't believe and you've got mm -hmm. a collar on, yeah, then, you ought to leave. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I mean, think it's like it's like in the Catholic Church. People believe that if, if a priest had a collar on, of course, he wouldn't rape little, you know, Janie or Johnny. Yeah. And in fact, he did. And my question was, why? Why don't they get out? Why, what's the point of them be, being priests in the Catholic mm -hmm. Church? I wish I knew. I wish I knew the answer to that question. I think a lot of it, uh, when you are when you are a priest, you have your you are handed. Um, an enormous amount of uh, authority. And I think a lot of people go into this because it gives them influence. It gives them a lot of uh, positive feedback. Um, there, there's, there's an enormous amount of social trust given to clergy. Um, that's true. That is very, very true. That's been under pressure you know, largely because of the abuse scandals uh, of, of the '90s and continuing. Um, so I don't, I don't know why. Uh, I, I believe that the average clergy person is a very faithful person, but over the last 40 years, um, you and I spoke about this earlier. Um, the truth claims of Christianity have become an embarrassment, and uh, you mean, you mean in, in terms of. Um an embarrassment because people are afraid to say that there are some absolute truths or yes. true right, right and wrongs. Yes. To say that there, well, to say, you know, Christianity has a basic truth claim. The basic truth claim is that God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, that has become a complicated and embarrassing thing to say, even though that's right out of the gospel, um, because Christianity has become, uh, in the minds of uh, the left, um, inextricably, inextricably bound up with the worst parts of uh, 19th, 18th, 19th century colonialism and the abuse of indigenous peoples. And so to say that you believe in the primary truth claims of Christianity um, is problematic. And that's what's happening at seminaries. Um, people emerge from seminary as faithful priests. They're, they, they're being faithful to what they're being taught. But the, the language, you know what happens when you keep the same words, but you change the definitions of the words. Oh, COVID. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. 84 it's 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 the ministry of truth uh it's um it's it's frightening and it's frightening to watch it um and it's been increasing uh over the last 
30, I've been in the Episcopal Church 30 years. It's It has definitely increased in the last 30 years. And if if you, like myself, um, particularly as a biblical scholar, um, I, I, I refuse to, uh, well, back to general convention, one of the things in revising the prayer book is the desire to have non-gendered language for everybody. And explain, explain that to me. So non-gendered, non-gendered language. Would it, non-gendered language in the Bible. No longer refer to God as he, even though Jesus referred to God as he, even though the whole Bible refers to God as he. So what do they what do they want to replace it with, Father? To simply use the word God. So I would have to say so I, God is not a he or she. So this is this is like uh the, the genderless biblical yeah. interpretation. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It'd have to be God so loved the world that God gave. God's only begotten son. It becomes clumsy, right? But in so it's, in, it's trying to erase any kind of objective truths. It's trying to erase standard truth claims of uh, Christianity or really Judeo-Christian. Do they get into the fact that they're trying to deny that uh, Jesus was not the son of God? Or is it oh, just yeah, yeah, absolutely. the times we live in where gender he pronouns she i mean are supposed to be replacing uh you know your biological sex or i mean is is this all part of the transhumanism movement you know i don't know it it's definitely a part of what we see in society at large um about uh, gender fluidity the refusal to acknowledge biological sex do they actually have the the, do, do they when people discuss this part of the, the change they want, do they actually refer to it in terms of those those current waves? Uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely part and parcel. They're absolutely tied together. Um, there is a, I hear it constantly. We n- no longer hearing Jesus called the Son of God, but the Child of God. Um, and who puts this forward? Who, who in the church put, puts this for? Are, they, are these uh, older, younger, straight, gay? I you mean, know, it's, it's, people in the church. I mean, who who's putting this forward? To be honest, it is. And I don't want to dump on the baby boomers because boomers <laughs> have done a lot of wonderful things for our country and for the world. But it largely comes from a well-meaning, progressive folks of the of the of the baby boom generation but even more so by the hard left activists of that generation and now we see that being propagated um, by uh, uh, the children who are college age and young professionals now um, it skipped my generation gen x is a tiny generation and it kind of jumped over us and it's it's now landed on the current uh, youth of America, and they are really pushing for it. Um, you know, I, I've seen, and uh, this is, I remember the first time I saw this, there was a famous sculpture that came out in the 90s, and it was called Krista, and it showed a female Jesus being crucified. And so, more recently, just last year, um, uh, I saw an image that was widely distributed uh, around the Episcopal Church of uh, a pair of women's ovaries being crucified on the cross. What? Uh, yeah. So uh, 
this kind of so it, it, it so they're, they're taking what's happening on the street and they're trying to bring it inside the, the sacristy yeah absolutely so then the question comes up if you want to change a club mm -hmm. i'm just calling it for for lack of a better word if you want to change the church yeah why bother joining the church i, I wish i knew i i, I mean, think what's what's the point i you know uh, one of the first things that leftist movements do is they first try to co-opt religion and when they Let's can't talk about that that's what happened in germany in the 1930s i yeah. mean that's, that is uh th this is this is not unusual for people to try to destroy the church from it the isn't and to get so control of the church yeah and you, and, and, and you know when i i father i need to share this with you because i mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't in our pre-interview what really caught my attention boldly mm -hmm. in february of 2021 as a friend of mine who's a faith-based gentleman, sent me uh, an invitation to listen into the Joe Biden White House Office of Faith-Based phone calls. Now yeah. this is open and, and I don't know who's on this list, but it seems like it's you know thousands of people. And it wasn't for the press, mm -hmm. but at that point in time, they didn't ask you if you remember the press. So I, I started quote unquote, legally eavesdropping. Yeah. And what I heard from, from the Biden White House is that they wanted the faith-based leadership to get married to the black community leadership and the union leadership yeah. and to host COVID events yeah. at churches. Mm -hmm. These are their words, uh, COVID events at churches because they are uh, they're, they're places, of, they're locations of trust within the community, all Absolutely. true. Absolutely. To quote unquote, validate the COVID vaccine. Yeah. And when I listened to that, I flipped back to the 1930s of what happens mm -hmm. when people try to co-opt the church. Absolutely. And they were so boldly transparent. This wasn't said in a whisper that people are listening yeah. in on this call all over the, you know, the country. Yeah. And I thought to myself, am I the only one that thinks that this is odd? Yeah. And then all of a sudden we saw churches involved with promoting the COVID and we saw people telling, uh, in, in, uh, holding COVID events, mm -hmm. four shots. There's no liability for the pharmaceuticals. There's no liability for distributors. You know, yeah. everybody's supposed to be complicit in this, this medical experiment, this yeah. human medical experiment. Yeah. And I thought to myself, this this is becoming sort of a godless experiment. Mm -hmm. uh, well, but it's we, also a way to infiltrate places of worship mm -hmm. that should be sacrosanct as opposed to the secular world. Yeah. I think one of the things we talked about in the pre-interview was, and I may have already mentioned it, somehow in this country, um, the left have seized uh, the moral high ground so that if you do not do these things you are bad people if you do not participate in this uh, you are an immoral person and uh, somehow conservatives have yet to muster um, a convincing worldview and an argument um, that can reclaim a sense of what it means to be moral and i, I so here's one of the things that happens if you if you can co-opt uh, the church or the religion. Um, 
what the religion doesn't understand is that over time, and this is happening to uh, mainstream Christianity across the board, um, over time, by being co-opted, people start realizing that they no longer need the church as the standard bearers for what's good and for what's moral. They now have the government. And so churches are shrinking at an astonishing, frightening rate. The just I can only speak for the Episcopal Church directly. The Episcopal Church over the last 25 years has lost over 25% of its active membership. And you the, mentioned to me in Rhode Island it's like 50%. 50% in the last 25 years. So you don't have to go after the church. They're smart. You don't have to go after and try to destroy the church. If you can co-opt it from within and convince it to redefine its most basic truth claims along political lines, eventually people just start realizing, why would I give my discretionary time or money to an institution that is irrelevant, an extension of what I'm already doing politically? And in those cases, in those countries where uh, the religion is very deeply tied to their ethnic or national sensibility. In those cases, you see the left actually tries to destroy the church. In our country, they've chosen the 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 you know the metaphor of slowly turning up the water on the frog. Well, the frog is about boiled. Um, we are we are in a very precarious situation in terms of the viability of Christianity in America. I, do you, do, do you, I'm sorry, finish. I say we're, we're very, for viable conservative Christianity. For when I say conservative Christianity, I don't mean Republican. I don't, I don't mean that. I mean willing to maintain and uphold the standard Orthodox Catholic truth claims of Christianity. That's what I mean. So are we talking about Marxists? that have infiltrated the traditional churches as we know, whether it's Baptist, Lutheran, uh, Episcopal. Uh, so they, they have infiltrated it, you think, to change it so it mirrors the secular, their secular view? Yeah. And like I say, I think it's largely started with our educational institutions, our seminaries. I, I don't think that, and because most of our clergy, to you receive what's called a master's of divinity. Um, that's like getting a master's of business. It's a professional degree. It's not a theological degree. And though it does include theology and it does include some exposure to biblical languages, it's primarily a degree on how to run a church, basically how to run a small franchise. Um, uh, so I, I'm lacking in those skills. I, I, I'm an academic. Um, so what I think has been happening by by overtaking our educational uh, institutions that we're churning out people who think they're being faithful to the Christian gospel, but it has been so redefined that and they are they are don't have a breadth of understanding or a depth of understanding uh, either how to read the scriptures in original languages, how to do uh, academic research for teaching and sermons, et cetera. Uh, what we're seeing is just the long-term effect of redefining our basic Christian truth claims along uh, political left uh, truth claims. And people just are not aware 
um, that's what's happening. And people like me who pointed out, we seem like we're lunatics. <laughs> so do you think America can, can survive if we lose the foundation of faith in the traditional sense? Honestly, I honestly, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think we are so, I've been thinking we're on a knife edge for the last 30 years. I'm not sure that we haven't already tipped. Um, I don't know what it's going to take for both the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church is only surviving because of immigration. If you look at the numbers for the Roman Catholic mm. Church, sure. for uh, European uh, people of European descent, or even immigrants of second and third generation, they're shrinking at the same rate as the mainstream Protestant churches. Uh, the Protestant churches are shrinking at at, at a frightening rate. Um, with it has gone uh, the traditional family. Um, with it has gone. Uh, uh, it's just some of the obvious basic truth claims um, of the difference between men and women. Um, the, the positive, wonderful differences between men and women, that men and women bring wonderful things to the world. Um, so do they still marry, do they still say husband and wife in the, in the marriage ceremony in the Episcopal Church? Uh, well, now, because we have um, approved uh, uh, ways uh, uh, a new marriage right, um, you can uh, not say those words. Um, what, do you, what do you call them? I mean, why are they there? It, it, well, <laughs> why are they there at the altar? Fewer and fewer people are coming to the church to be married, if I'm honest. Uh, fewer and fewer. Um, I would say in the last seven years, I've, and this is mostly people in their 70s to 90s, uh, I've buried over uh, 50 people. I have probably married five. So do the numbers. They later come to, to your services? No. They, so there's that's a decline in, in having church ceremonies. Six maybe that I've married. Only two um, became regular members. Um, so very few people are actually coming to church. And, and the ones that do or come get their children baptized, they come get their kids baptized and never show up. So they're, they're not really being formed uh, as Christians. They're coming in a lot of ways because their grandparents or parents think that the religious aspect is important. But for them, it, it's, it's, it's a formality um, to them. Um, and so often uh, it's not, may I interest, introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. Um, it's, may I introduce to you, uh, just give their first names. Um, uh, or if you're, uh, we now um, have authorized the, uh, not just the blessing of civil unions or the blessing of, uh, and civil unions can be uh, between uh, elderly folks um, or between members of the same sex. I mean, there are all kinds of people who do civil unions um, and some come to the church for blessing. We now have uh, marriage rights for uh uh, all kinds of persons. Um, I have not done any of these. I'm not comfortable um, for all kinds of reasons. Um, I don't think we've done the theology on it. I think it's a political decision. Um, uh, so we, we, we've, we've entered into very 
very dangerous territory. We're, we're doing things for political reasons um, and not for theological reasons. And we are a theological community. We're not a political right. institution. Um, well, it, 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 throughout history, when when um, mm. when the, the voice of the church has lost its its theological voice, yeah. and, and there are there are some times in history when they have, yeah, <clears throat> Luther was huge, Calvin was huge, yeah, uh, it, it, historically, Bonhoeffer was huge, Bonhoeffer, one of my favorites, uh, Bonhoeffer was huge in, in speaking out about the moral courage of the church, even. Even Martin Luther King's letter uh, from the Birmingham jail was extra extraordinary. Yes. Letter. Yes. What, what, how do we get this back on track? Because we, we, right now as a culture, as a society, we're very sick. We, we are. are ill. We yes. are ill. Yes, we are. I mean, we, we, we are preying upon children with medical experiments. You know, we're trafficking kids. We've got internet porn of kids. It's off the charts. Nobody's holding, you know, any of these people accountable in Silicon Valley. And I've been speaking out about this for, you know, almost 22 years. I sound like a broken yeah. record. But, yeah. you know, there's no accountability for, there, for any of this. There is none. Again, it's because the left have so infiltrated our social dialogue that you are a bad person if you say that... Uh, uh, boys who now want to identify as girls compete in girls sports if you say that's wrong you are an immoral bad person again the the conservative voice has lost its capacity or its believability to to present to muster a counter argument um, if you have been taught and I as I've heard amongst clergy colleagues including amongst the hierarchy of the bishops that you call Christianity imperialistic and that all religions are equally valid um, it's hard to come back from that so I don't know what the church is going to do um, we've had amongst all the mainstream Christian uh, Protestant churches in this country major splits over the last 30 years um, over all sorts of reasons um, ordination of women uh, uh, gender uh, language uh, etc um, all of these split groups continue to get smaller and smaller and what's happening is all of the conservative voices are being slowly peeled off and picked off um, and and they are not actually uh, combining to bring any force to uh, to the theological dialogue of the Christian church in America. They're not bringing any force to the social dialogue. I mean, the church is involved in culture, and so it should have a social and political voice, but it isn't primarily social or political. It's primarily spiritual. The church has flip-flopped those things, and the ones who want to have a conservative impact upon culture have become so marginalized um, and are actually uh, at odds with each other over who's the most conservative. Um, I, I, I don't know what is needed. Without another great awakening, without in the church, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know what it's going to take. I, I, you know, can, can we be this spiritually broken and come back? I mean, it's hard for people. I mean, 
you know, it's been hard for you to maintain a voice and, and to speak out with having yeah. any, without having any retribution directed at you. And and, and I'm, I'm facing retribution. I, I have done, and I'm currently facing real, real world retribution that's affecting my, my future. Um, you know, when if you want to go into any details feel free to and if you don't yeah. at this time it's understandable yeah. well you know when the communists took over most of eastern europe um russia they wiped out the church mm -hmm. as soon as communism fell the churches surged back into popularity right um in western europe the churches have just simply been ridiculed um and it's happening in the united states um i don't know if it'd be better if we were absolutely attacked and wiped out <laughs> instead of the slow frog boiling that we're seeing now yeah, although in, so, in some cases on some angles it seems it's, it seems like it's, it's a it's a blowout yeah um, when Maoism and Marxism and communism is is which has which is a godless state yeah uh, is called for by some radicals in the United States I I, I, I my head spins I, I mean I've traveled all over the world I never thought my homeland would turn into a, a Marxist state but when I I you can't know, last, year, last year covering Black Lives Matter you know people were hung up on you know the Black Lives Matter aspect of this not looking at the fact that these these ladies were in fact trained Marxists they yeah. didn't look at the fact of who else was on the street during the demonstrations. And you had people like Bob Avakian, who's, you know, in his late 70s, who's rewritten. He comes out of the SDS Weatherman in the 1960s and 70s. And he's mm. and he's written the Constitution. And I, I actually read it. It's a new socialist constitution to replace ours, but it's all oh, based yeah. on no private property. Oh. Communism is the ideology and everything. Yep. You don't have any uh, private possessions. And private yeah. property and I, and I thought to myself why are people marching with these people why are these people showing up in before uh, covid mm -hmm. they were in ferguson they were in baltimore they showed up when, when floyd died in, in minneapolis and then they mm -hmm. showed up in you know 20 different 25 different chapters for mm -hmm. the demonstrations in 2020 and nobody seemed to care about it but if you didn't if you didn't want to join forces with yeah. them then you were a bad person yes if they were sensitive you are a Argument. bad person, but it yes. really is people who believe in God and people who don't believe in God. Yeah, I mean they've oh. seized all argument, and it's it's it's. I've been talking about this amongst my peers um, and my family. Um, you know, my brothers. I have two brothers. They have eight children. My eight nephews and nieces, from elementary school to college, uh, some of them have only had one class on American history, and it began with the Vietnam War and America is evil. Um, so they have no clue about the Constitution. What do you mean, what do you mean it began with the Vietnam War? American history. <laughs> I mean, I'm from Boston. I know all about, you know, Paul Revere. Yeah, it's they don't know anything about the American Revolution. They know nothing about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence. <clears throat> so it's mirrored what's happening to the church has been happening in civil culture. The, the left have infiltrated um, our educational system to such a degree that uh, my nephews and nieces are completely unaware of the Constitution and of what our constitutional rights and liberties are. And so when they hear something on TV, um, they think because the moral argument has been seized by the left, they are convinced by the moral argument that to be good people, you have to believe this. They have no concept 
about so the so the the uh, the the conscience. There's no you're not allowed to have a conscience. You're not allowed to have a uh, moral mm -hmm. objection. You mm -hmm. have to be a robot to follow mm -hmm. everything. Well, nobody wants to be called a bad person. And so because the moral argument has been absolutely convincingly seized by the left, you don't want to be called a bad person. Nobody wants to be called a bad person. And so it's hard. Well, nobody wants to be called a bad person at the same time. You know, the people, on the, the radicals should be thinking they don't want to be called stupid. Yeah. I mean, part of this is, is a, a massive level of ignorance it is. by radicals. Massive. Because pe people, young people say to me, Christine, socialism works. And I said, when? When, when? did it work? Say where? Communism worked. Yeah. When? Where? Did it work? Okay, where? I, where? You know, so they're being, they're being fed. And then they'll say, you know, this is a new kind of communism. And I'm thinking to myself, or, or, you know, who's teaching these people yeah. that there's a new kind of communism? A Real communism has never been tried. You know, I, I mean, it it, it, tru it truly is an upside down world, intellectually, yeah. spiritually, yeah. And, and we're broken. Father, is there yeah. any closing for this? And I've so enjoyed, you know, meeting oh, thank you. you. Me too. You. I and I want you to come back, okay? I, we want to hear your journey because you are speaking out and it isn't easy. Mm. No, it isn't. do this, all right? So, you know, God bless you for, for doing this. Thank Anything you. Anything else you want to share with the audience at this time? Yes, that the left uh, does not have the only moral argument, that it is okay to have different opinions, that you need to go out and research. Read people, please, research. Don't just do simple Google searches. Do real research, study history. And if you're a Christian, read the scriptures. You, you can be a good moral person and not give in to the hate, the violence, to the mindless obedience of the left. The left does not want you to be an individual. It wants you to be part of a collective that does not acknowledge and honor your God-given dignity. You must fight for your God-given dignity as, as in, made in the image of God. Believe it. Trust it. That's what I want people to know. God loves you and wants you to be you. Father Troy Beecham, you have the final word. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.